0: Thank you for downloading Kingdom Culture with Denny and Danette Taylor, recorded October 19th through the 21st, 2018 at House of Hope in Cranbrook, B.C., Canada. We pray that this will be a blessing to you as you listen. It goes from all the way from Christmas Island, all the way across the Line Islands, the Gilbert Islands, and the Phoenix Islands. It's all those islands are of the Kiribati Nation. Very primitive. And... Uh, th- I think the Lord sent us there because He knows how much I I love the ocean. I I love the ocean. So one of my I got to learn how to um, I learned how to dive. Did a lot of snorkeling. the 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 warm water there was conducive to the the tropical fish, and so the the coral was just amazing. It's it's like it was the worth the trip just to go there, and then the people were amazing. And so we got to see a lot. We that's where the aunt and I discovered where we're called. We went into the mission field because um God God called us and we didn't know what to do. Um <clears throat> we kind of went we kind of we never had a heart for mission to be a missionary. Because when the missionaries would come to our church and do their little slides and they do their programs and they're starting these orphanages, they're starting these churches and they're do and they're and all of this stuff. And we're kind of going, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, and so we really didn't know. Huh? It's the boring. Part. It's the boring <laughs> anyway, so we got over there not knowing what we're going to do and just kind of say trusting God to just to lead us into what what we're called to do. He said, "Go." So he said, "Okay, we'll go." But we don't know what we're going to do when we get there, and uh, and we found out that uh, if you don't go there with a visa, they don't like visitors. Uh, they they're a re- they're a pretty closed nation. They 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 want to protect their primitive lifestyle, um, which is they just they fish and they sit, and then they eat what they caught. And you ask them, what's your favorite food? You know, expecting steak and you know uh, no, no, fish, fish and rice. Yeah, fish and rice. You can have anything in the world, what would it be? Oh, fish and rice. And so and we, we discovered that there are no seasons in Caribous. The the difference between winter and summer was twenty minutes. <laughs> so it was <laughs> 20 minutes between the extremes, and it was always hot. You would go to bed sweating. You would wake up sweating. It was, it was always hot, and so, so and so it was only natural that the men only wore a wrap, um, and became an umbrella when they were fishing. <laughs> so you learn that real quick. You go fishing with men, you you. You divert your eyes. <laughs> the the women wore a a blouse thing in in the Kapalana, but um when the but they were very but on the outer islands they didn't wear a top, and so it was quite an experience to be preaching, and having women being exposed. So you learn to preach to the. The rats along the, wrong, the... <laughs> so it's it was a challenging, but what we discovered was that it was such an innocence. There was there was such a hunger for God, and it's like when we get, it's like this we we experience culture shock for the first time in that place because here we are we come out of a na- out of a nation that has extreme you know like here it's like there's winter. And then there's summer, and then there's spring and fall in between. And so we experience these seasons. When you get to a place where there's no seasons, the island was only 14 miles wide and two blocks wide, and it was just like a horseshoe kind of thing. And so it was small. Uh, and so um, island fever was very real. It was, you felt like, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. She did anyway. I get, <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> but uh, but we lived in a little kit what they call a kika as a house on little stilts that's where we slept and and we just we got to experience the culture and the culture that's primitive a culture that is just there's no striving there's no performance there is people just being free to be people and the dream the the dream of men is to have children Train them to be fishermen so that you can fulfill your your dream of sitting in the Maniaba, the house, little hut, and do nothing. That was so they would do that. The, the older men would just sit, the, everybody would come, all the older guys would come over, and they would just visit all day long. All day long, every day. After a while you feel like you're starting to go looney tunes. Because it was just trying to, bring, trying to bring a people that are just very, yeah, we don't, we, we don't know what change is, and we're happy the way things are. So when you bring a gospel of coming into relationship with God and allow him to change your heart, there was this, why do I need to change? And so religion was a very strong principality there. That was based in pride. Okay? And so confronting these religious systems and going after relationship with God was a challenge. But all it would take was for one pastor to experience the presence of God. Who then spread to his pastors. That then spread to his church. And we find ourselves on an outer island with our little youth group doing a conference kind of thing. And, and the Lord just began to speak to us, again, uh, to these people. And the words that we would give to them were so specific to them that it, like, the light came on. And they basically came to the, the revelation that, you mean God's real? He's just not something we're striving for after death? We can have relationship with him. And that was revelation they had never had before. And so it's amazing because we're, we're giving them prophecies. We're telling them things that only God would know about them. And then uh, we'd prophesy to them, and they'd get up and they'd leave. And we'd go, okay. I don't, maybe they were, I don't know. We went on to the next person, spoke to them. They'd get up and they'd leave. And we're thinking, well, I guess this is how they do church here. So by the time we, we emptied out the church or the the building, we emptied out the building after we prophesied everybody and said, "Well, I guess we 're done, so <laughs> we get up and we 're going to go to our little hut, and we 're hearing this wailing and this commotion on the other side of the village. So we wonder what 's going on, So we walk over there, and here 's the church, the people that were in our assembly in the church, their own church building on their faces, crying out to God. It, because in the in the city, or their village center, it was inappropriate to be emotionally expressive. So they took it back to the church, and they had revival right there. Revival broke out. Thank you, Jesus. And then it began to spread. So we're on a boat on our way back to the main, the main island where we live. And we notice there's a lot of... A lot of people on the boat with us. A lot of the people that were in our little uh, gathering. Which isn't uncommon because we lived on the main island, which is where the ships would come in. So they, it, was un, it wasn't uncommon for them to come and get their supplies and then go back out to their outer islands. So I didn't think much too of it. But, but then I'm noticing it's not just the husbands who normally would go or the wives that would normally go. It was the whole families we're thinking, this is just strange. So I asked the pastor, so w- w- why are all the people coming back with this? And he goes, well, they're coming back for the school. And I'm thinking, you have a school? I don't know anything about I go, what school? Well, the one you're starting Monday. <laughs> this was Saturday. <laughs> So we found ourselves launching into a school to train the people in how to hear God's voice, to recognize how he's moving, and then speak what he says, pray for the sick, and see them recovered. And so basically, we were launched into a school, into a school and we find ourselves going, Oh, that makes sense now. Find ourselves in Fiji. Missionary family, missionary old lady there. He was uh, taking us now to her school that she started, and uh, and we're got we're on the uh, we're out. We're, she's taking us. out. We had to fly out to in another island, and she's basically saying, you know, I would like so I've been want I've been looking for somebody to come and take over my schools. She had like three schools, right? Three schools. And she goes, would you, please, would you consider praying about it, and coming and start running these schools for me? We had a pastor come and visit us from Australia. He comes over, and he goes, I really like what you've done here. Would you come start a school in Australia with me? It didn't take much for us to go, I wonder if we're supposed to start schools. <laughs> so um, we went back, and uh, in, uh, when was it, what year was we came back to Bethel, because Bethel's our covering. And we believe in being sent out. We shared with them what God had done. And we said, God, evidently God has a thing of schools on us. And so Bethel sent us to Mexico to start a school of supernatural ministry in Mexico. And we went to La Paz, Mexico, started a school of supernatural ministry there. Um, we, used to help start a, we helped another missionary couple start one in Guadalajara. Another pastor started one in Mexico City. And then we went and helped to start a school in uh, Nicaragua. And so it's like these things are just being, you know, it's, it's like when you step into something, you, sometimes you really don't know what you carry until you step into the opportunity where God can use you and then you find yourself doing it. Does that make sense? Okay. Because we would never have thought of starting schools. Because it's always been my heart to train and equip the saints of God to do the work of the ministry. That's what I carried. The school then became the tool that I used to do that. And so, so, saying that, if you came to see a Billy Graham, if you came to see a Bill Johnson, if you came to see... I don't know, hundreds of others that are out there doing the wow ministry. Uh, I hope you're not going to be disappointed. But this is who I am. Okay? And so if I were a baker, I, I would bake you an amazing cake. And I'd serve it up to the best of my life. If I were a, a chef, I would prepare the most amazing meal But here I am, a teacher, With the prophetic little influence, and I'll probably be getting more to the prophetic word that I'm feeling for the for the for for this area tomorrow. More more of it aimed at tomorrow. But tonight I want to kind of just set it up. Is that okay with you? Okay. Um, The last three years, we've been in, uh, we were sent by Bethel to start a school of supernatural ministry in Zimbabwe. And we've always had, we've, we've carried a love for Africa for, well, we first, we broke in our teeth on, in Africa, in far as missions. We went to Heidi Baker's orphanage, and we spent some time with Heidi Baker. When you're around Heidi Baker for very long, you're ready to lay down your life and just serve God. You know, and it's, it's just amazing how the, love, how the love that she has for God is so contagious, And it was during those times of encountering God's. We were there when, um, we were there when, when uh, the angels had come and sing with the kids. Remember, huh? You probably read about in in her book. We were there. We I remember waking up and hearing the kids singing. I'm thinking it's kind of late for a for church party, you know. That the next morning we find we find out. Well, they, the kids would begin, when the angels come, the kids would join them in songs. And so this it's just amazing thing, that, the things that went in there. So that's what really caught our hearts to go into the mission field. And so, um, <clears throat> I don't even know where I'm, I'm going with this, but but uh, Z, huh? in Zimbabwe. And so in Zimbabwe, we started a school supernatural ministry there that then moved from one city to the next, city, the major city in, in Harare. We started the school there. We called it the School of, Superna- we call it school of Supernatural Leaders. And, uh, and basically was focused on raising up the leaders to do the work of the ministry. Okay, And, uh, and then when we got to a, a portion of our training it, that, deli- that deals with deliverance and inner healing, um, we, we really stepped into something that God was breathing on. And we didn't really notice, because Danette and I had been involved in all the ministries that would be included in the School of Supernatural Ministries. We were, doing, we were teaching on prophecy. We were training and praying for the sick. We were training in intercession and just evangelism, um, doing um, uh, treasure hunts. I don't know if you guys do that here. Doing treasure hunts. That's where you, God gives you a person, and you go out and look for them and find them, and you witness to them, Okay. Those kind of events that we go on. And then so we, what we called sozo ministry, which is the Greek word for salvation in the scriptures, which is that big word that's condu- that, that the English doesn't do justice, justice to. Okay, It's a word that means healing, salvation, and deliverance. The whole package. This is what God brought us so that it's, it impacts us. Spirit, soul, and body. The whole package of salvation is what Jesus purchased for us. And so the focus of Sozo was then the dealing with the heart issues that caused people to be in pain, that caused people to carry the wounds of the past, caused people to carry, hang on to offenses. And we began to begin ministering and bringing healing to those places, and the people started just... Coming for more, coming for more. I remember our first Sozo. We got a phone call. Could you please come help us, this family? Okay. Is that right, Their first one? Oh, the first one was Distine. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good one, too. Our, a good friend of ours, Distine. She goes, would you come? I need a Sozo. And so we took her and we prayed for her. And she went through this process of healing Mother wounds. Her mother had some issues. Her mother's issues brought a lot of damage to her own heart. So in this process of healing her heart, her mother calls her, what, three days later? That week. Okay, three days later, she gets a call from her mother that she hasn't heard from in a long time and basically says, would you please forgive me? I just turned my heart over to God and I want to make amends. Those kind of miracles uh, we had a family call us um, and, and said uh, they had their son has having a birthday party, and there the houses there um, have walls around them, and on top of these walls, they either have glass or they have razor wire in order to keep themselves safe okay? uh, Zimbabwe is a nation that's in desperate need of God to bring healing. It is one of the most dangerous nations in the world to live because of the amount of crime, the corruption in the government. Um, It's not uncommon for the government, if they feel that you're threatened, you're threatening their position, you're threatening their political stance, to, to make you disappear and you become food for crocodiles. Okay, so as, and so the corruption starts at the top, you know, it just kind of filters down into public life. So here's this family holding a birthday party for their teenage son, and as people are coming in the gate, driving into the gate, they open and close the gate. Uh, some hoodlums come in behind them and basically hold the whole group up with a gun, um, threatening them, gathered into a, into a crowd, and just began to just rob the place, okay? Now, here's these kids experiencing this trauma. For the next several days, week, about a week, they're having nightmares every night. Every one of them is having nightmares every night, afraid to go to sleep. They're, they can't sleep. Their, their school is affected. Everything is affecting them. And so their parents call us, would you please come and minister to our kids? So we get the kids there and the parents too because there were some of the parents that were there that were part of it. And so we sat them together and we just introduced them to Jesus, the protector. And we had them do the exercise that we do in dealing with trauma is we bring them and say, Holy Spirit, I receive your wraparound presence to take me back to that memory so that I can deal with this trauma. And they go back to that memory and we asked the very simple, where's Jesus? And they, began to, and they began one by one, oh, I see Jesus doing this. And the next one goes, I saw the same thing. He, they all saw Jesus stand between them and the criminals and would not allow. They were intending to do physical violence to those kids, and that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for the criminals to come in, kill the people, to, to get rid of all the evidence. And then leave. Jesus protected them from that. And they saw that, and it's like this peace came upon them when they when they experienced Jesus was there with them. Peace came upon them, and the and the nightmare stopped. Okay, those are just some of the things that we got to got to experience. Okay, so this is this is the fun part of what we do. So while we were there, we had the opportunity of of raising up what we call a Sozo team. A team of ministers who ministered healing and deliverance to the people who come there. That ministry is still going, and we're just so proud of our of the people that are that we've trained. They're they're really doing, going good, amen. And now they're training others. They're raising up a tra- team. They have a dream, and I'm not just in the in the church that we ministered, having a Sozo team, but starting these other Sozo teams. In other churches that are also experiencing the same thing, and then taking these teams into the into the neighborhoods that are very poor. Um, Zimbabwe is a nation that's been that's ravished by civil war, Um, and then the corrupt government came in and has has committed atrocities against the people, stolen it, it to the point where. Their, their dollar is no longer, is, we have a $10 million note that couldn't buy a roll of toilet paper. Okay, that's how bad it was. And so, because they basically robbed the nation of its, of its wealth. Where $16 billion worth of diamonds suddenly disappeared out of their vault. Okay, that's the kind of corruption. that Basically, it's left the nation in poverty uh, where 85% of the nation is unemployed. Can you imagine? 85% is unemployed. So these unemployed people are, are desperate. They're looking for any way that they can to survive. So you can imagine the environment. They are indeed a Revival. They had a march on the government, not a march on the government, but a march down the streets. Close to a million people showed up for that march. When it was led by one of the pastors that we have a relationship with that basically said, it, We need God. And a million people showed up in that march. That same, that, that was several months ago, recent, not too long ago, another march came in, and the, and the president was removed from his office. And now they have a president who is hopefully doing better. Okay? So there's a lot of stuff that's going on in, in Zimbabwe. Dinette and I are looking forward to getting back and spending and, and pouring into what God's doing there. Well, we came home because I, I know I, talk, I talked this about that last time, didn't I? About why we came home. Our family was going, my, my second son was going through family crisis that required us to come home. And so we've been spending our time with family and looking forward to getting times of going back. And our, our trips back, because we're still with family, our trips back are probably going to be more um, short-term. And so I'm looking at going back in, in March with, uh, with the BSSM Bethel School of uh, Students, going back in March. So please pray for us. We could, we could use your support in that. That kind of catch you up, okay, good. Now I can get to where I'm, why I'm here. Um, One of one of my ministry times was with a man who was like maybe 55 years old. He had been in, he was, basic, he was, he was um, pretty much kidnapped. I think he was 15 years old. Young boy. Not a child, but 15 years old is, is still pretty young. Handed a gun and then commanded to go out and shoot people. He didn't know any better. So he did the best he could, because if you don't do what you're told, you'll end up like the other kids that were shot, carried out and dumped in a ditch. So here he is, a young boy, stuck a gun in his hand, him and his old friend. and they're commanded, "Go shoot those people." So him and his friend will go trucking in there. they don't know what they're doing. He's running along and his friends, he said his friend is maybe about 12 feet away and his friend steps on a landmine, blows him in half. Parts of his body splash onto him. Shrapnel went, just mess his legs up. He's now, he's now flat on the ground. His legs are just messed up. For the next, they didn't know he's going to survive. He, he thought he was, he was losing so much blood but they were able to get him into the hospital. For the next nine months, he's in in recovery. Nine months in a hospital bed, recovering. Six months after that, he's in physical therapy. So he he now has the use of his legs restored. He has been trained, and they hand him a gun and said, okay, go back out there. So here he is, hiding, trying to survive, He's watching the, pe- the guys next to him getting shot, falling over dead. He's hearing bullets whizzing by his hand. <whistles> <whistles> he says he talks. He was one time leaning up a tree with his gun. And for some reason, he got up and did reach for, a, reach for something on the ground. And bullets hit the tree that he was just in. And he's, now he's flat on his back. I'm flat on his belly trying to hide. For this next several years, he's now in this battle for his life, surviving war. The war finally ends. The new president comes in and he thinks everything is fine, except the only thing he knows how to do is fight. But you can imagine this 15-year-old is pretty messed up. He's messed up. So he joins the U.N. The U.N. sent him north to deal with the Muslims, the infiltration of Muslims. And on their compound, they're having kids coming in with their explosive vests and blowing themselves up. You remember sitting in his post as a kid blows himself up on the parts of his body flying everywhere. He remembers sitting in the barracks where suddenly these, these Muslims would start just fight, shooting and just bullets all around him. He'd go diving to the ground. He lived in that constant terror for several years. He says, what really Messed him up. If that didn't mess him up enough, was he's in the he's in the compound, and they hear this call, "Hey, everybody, come out, come out, come out." So he goes into the into the center of the compound, and they had captured two young boys, fifteen, sixteen years old, standing there, and they begin to accuse them of trying to threaten them with. They had no, they didn't have anything on. They just, this is just two young boys. They began, the UN military then began to pour diesel over their heads. And then light them on fire. And the whole compound watched these two boys burn in the middle. This young, this man is now sitting in my office.
1: How do you deal with that?
0: And I'm going, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know, how do you heal?
1: Somebody's gone through this.
0: That's trauma. He's now an alcoholic. He'd been an alcoholic since he got out of the UN. They They kicked him out of the UN because the ptsds were so bad he's basically losing his mind waking up with nightmares terrors the only escape that he could find was in a bottle of a in a bottle of booze and he believes in god but he's asking the question where is god for me where is god for me and in our session together, I began to talk him through the same kind of how we deal with trauma. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. Jesus, where were you when my buddy blew up? he said, and he heard it. He heard Jesus say, I was protecting your vital organs so that you wouldn't die. Where were you when they were shooting at me? Well, I was the one who got your attention what right in front of you, so that when you bend over, they, you didn't get shot. Where were you when, that boy, when those boys were set on fire? And he goes, I was crying beside you. It broke my heart too. And memory by memory, Jesus began to show himself. Like, did God have the power to stop it? Yeah. The problem, the thing is, is that he, God gave the authority over this earth to man. And man brought corruption into the world. Man brought war. Man brought violence. Man brought death.
1: And God says,
0: there's hope. There's a people that I've called my own who are now, rising up to stand in my place and to take authority over the earth. That's what he's doing. That's our job, to be representatives of God. Here's this man addicted to alcohol. I think he's on painkillers as well. And I asked him, and I'm almost at a loss of what to do And I said, It's amazing to me how the enemy tried and tried and tried to take you out, but he couldn't. It's amazing to me how you were able to go into the depths of wickedness, the depths of hatred, the depths of violence, and yet you survived. And I asked him the question, what would happen if you were to change the way you perceived your history as an overcomer versus the victim? And you would have thought I would have flipped the light switch on. It's like, I never thought of that. I'm an overcomer. I overcame everything Hell, I overcame death, and he began just to begin to declare what he was hearing God say, You're an overcomer of your history. And I then asked the question, What do you think you should do about that? I don't know. Well, let's ask Jesus, Jesus, what do I do with this? Jesus says testify about me. He's now writing a book of his experience. He's no longer drinking. He's off the pain meds. He is now serving God and writing a story. That's the power of God. I have sat through many, many, many stories of trauma That's probably my worst one. But I have witnessed how God can touch the hearts of broken men and women and bring hope. Just in this simple change, I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. There's nothing this life has brought to me that I cannot overcome. And as long as we're sucking air, we have power to bring change. We have power to stand up and be who God's called us to be, regardless of what we've experienced. <coughs> Amen? You probably are very aware of the garbage that goes on in America. <laughs> it's, it's sad to see how certain parties, I'm not going to name parties, but it's clear, it's clear that some are very wicked. Now they will go into a person's history to find, find the slightest thing that they could bring in accusation. And the point of accusation is simply to attach you to your past with the message that who you were is who you are. What you've done identifies who you are. And I love that Chris Vallison said it very well. He he stole my message, but but I'll forgive him. (laughs) He said this very well. If God is forgiving... And he gives us the grace for repentance. Who are we to say our past disqualifies us from our future? Am I right? Because what the scripture says, repentance, is the changing of the way you think so that it affects how you behave. So here, for example, is Kavanaugh. Who committed, who knows, whether it's accurate or if it's just fake news. We don't know. We don't know if it was a big play. All I know is that if he's guilty, he's had 30 plus years of living a repentant life. He didn't do it anymore. Does that make sense? The evidence of repentance is that we stop going one direction and we go in another. And here's a man who confesses God. Here's a man who believes in God and has, and has brought his family into, into that understanding. How can we judge? How can we judge anyone? You're hearing what I'm saying. What right do we have to hold anyone's past against them? The question is, where we are right now in our heart connection with God? So i this is a long introduction, I'm sorry. But our goal for this, our conference, the time that we have together, is, is we're going after connection. Connection with you and God that manifests in the connection that you have with one another. Okay, this will make more sense when we get to it. Okay, connection. Okay, so I want to start with, I know you're probably dying to know what this is. This is not my way of tracking my time of speaking. Better do it, although it would work. (laughs) There's a scripture in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's go ahead and read that. I, I... This is written differently than I have it memorized. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men in it. No, that's a different one. That's in Timothy. Sorry. For by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of your works, so that no one has can boast. For we are his workmanship. Look at your neighbor and say, you are God's. You are, a God, you are God's work. Now, that work means you're his masterpiece. Okay? Now, you can turn to your other neighbor and say, you're God's masterpiece. Okay? Created in Christ Jesus. I love that part. You were created in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to get to this probably Sunday. But I love that created because it isn't just he's spoken and you exist. There was planning in it. There was design behind it. As script, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. No. Oh, it's in the Ephesians and there's another one in Romans that says, um, Before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. He knew you. That means before God created anything, that's where you were designed. And in his design for you, is an experiential knowledge of you. In other words, this is amazing to me. In God's foreknowledge, he literally experienced you before creation. That's amazing to me. I'm going to hit this again Sunday, but can you imagine... Here's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we know that God is love. Amen? So the love of the Father for the Holy Spirit, the love of the Holy Spirit for the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit that they have for one another in their love, that's where you were conceived. And that same word to know is the same word used when a man knows his wife. That knowing was a mirror of what began before the foundations of this earth. You were conceived in love. That's irrelevant of what your parents experienced. Am I right? You're not in an accident. God already knew you. That's amazing to me. And in that knowledge, you were designed before sin. Sin wasn't an issue with God. He sees you because of what Jesus has done. He sees you irrelevant of sin. Amen. He knows you and he comes to you. He says, I choose you. Before you chose him, he chose you. While you were still a sinner. Rotten in sin, God says, I choose you. Why? Because he's able to separate the garbage to see what's inside and goes, Oh, I know you. I choose you. And the moment you said, I, I receive you, all of that sin was dealt with at the cross. Sin is no longer the issue. Am I right? Amen. And so this part of this journey that we're on <coughs> is recognizing that as long as I see myself as a victim I'm hanging on to an orphan mentality. That orphan mentality says God God's work wasn't enough for me. And I have to add to it through my own abilities, through my own Service through my own performance. God says that's impossible. You can't earn it. By grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of your own selves. It's a gift of God. It's his gift to you because he knows who you are. Amen. He knows what you, he knows who you really are inside. We look at ourselves and we look at ourselves because of our past. We feel unworthy. We feel disqualified. How could God love me? Look look at all these things that I've done. And God goes, that's why Jesus came. So that we we can step out of the past. We can step out of slavery and into sonship with him and who he's called us to be. I like this I like this because that verse that says, by grace are you saved through faith, is a kingdom principle. It's not just about our salvation. It's about our access to all that Jesus purchased for us as being in an heirs and sons of God. Amen? Grace through faith. Everything Jesus purchased for us is in the realm of his kingdom that he says is at hand. It's within grasp. It's in your reach to take hold of what Jesus has purchased for you as his child. Amen. You as a child of the King of Kings, as a royal priesthood, has access to all that he has for you. Which is amazing. So here is the grace of God, his provision His acceptance, His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, everything that God provided for you is in the realm of His kingdom that comes to us by grace. You getting it so far? Yet it it passes through this channel called faith grace through faith. Amen? So the measure of my faith will determine what grace I access. Does that make sense? So if I'm dealing with an orphan mindset that my, my, my access by grace is by my own performance, I've now limited the great faith. You understand? Faith in myself is not faith. It has to be faith in God. He's my provider. I'm not my provider. Is this helping at all? Fear. Shame, doubt, unbelief. The things that trauma, life experiences. The things that sometimes life on earth is really hard. And what we come to believe about ourselves, about God, about the people we're around, will limit our faith And what we can receive in grace. So my goal this weekend. Is to increase increase our faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. So I'm going to be focused on giving you the word of God. This book. Is my favorite book in the world. I have a whole box of them. At home. Because as, as you can see it. I like I like writing and coloring and underlining and I just, I, I, this is like a, this is like a treasure box to me. And I look at it like this is God has something to say and I'm going to find it right now. I just finished Deuteronomy and I finished that after Leviticus and before that was numbers. And you know what I found? There's gold in those chapters. I'll go about this tomorrow night. But you know that all the sons of Israel, their names have significance. Their names declare the gospel. Amazing. Let you figure that out on your own. That's not, not going to be one of my services. But tomorrow night, I'm going to be looking at the thing, the enemies that constrain our faith. We're going to be looking at the names of the enemies that Israel was commissioned to go and drive out of the land. Okay? Every one of those names identifies an enemy that we face today. Give you a couple of them. One's called fear, one's called pride, one's called shame. Is this making sense? Those are the things that we deal with in life that God says, you're not a victim. You're an overcomer. And if we change the way we think, we will look at our enemies' opportunities to step into the glory of God, access grace, and overcome an enemy that's influencing our world around us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at this. You are his workmanship, created in his image, prepared beforehand. Did you get that? Uh, Prepared before, where beforehand? Way back here before creation. Prepared beforehand to do good works. We're going to get into that some more. Is that okay? This is a long introduction. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24. I'm just going to go until I'm done. If you get done before I do, you're, you're free to leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you <can't leave> <laughs> um, Ephesians chapter 5. This is an all-familiar scripture. And I love pulling it out because it, I, I, I love poking at men and women. Hmm? Ephesians 5, verses 24 through 32. hmm.
1: hmm.
0: Twenty four. There it is. Wives, be subject to your husband as to the Lord. You can't read this in the United States. (laughs) You have a riot, you have picketers. Uh, me too. Me too. Never mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm. No, I'm. I'm messing things up. Forgive me, Lord. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now we have heard this in the church in a condemning type of way, where the wife's job is to serve the husband. That is not what that says. Okay? <laughs> what it says is this. In Philip's New, translation, New Testament translation, wives must learn to adapt yourselves to your husbands. Now, if you understand the context that Paul's preaching from, what is that? You are a workmanship created for good works. In your workmanship, you husbands and wives, you people of God, were designed for greatness. And here he's saying, wives, adapt yourselves to what your husband carries in his greatness. Then it says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If you understand that from you're created in his image, you were created as a masterpiece. Now I look at my wife and I then I relate to her with the value that God created her in. Oh my gosh. She's a masterpiece. I've come to know her. As the masterpiece that she is. And now my attention. My, my love is now for this precious gift. That God has provided for me. And she has been a helper. And I have been a. We have found this place of common Union. This place of connection and relationship where our ministry isn't about me, it's about us. And you'll see that tomorrow. She is awesome. She is. You're going to love her. She's going to be sharing tomorrow. Okay? But we found this place of connection. And in this... I'm going to jump in ahead of myself. But in this place of connection, you'll recognize... Every one of us was created with strengths and also weaknesses. God designed in this weaknesses. Now, it doesn't mean faults. How many of you have taken um, uh, strength finders? few people. Okay, basically, that's a test that you take that exposes, that highlights the strengths that you carry. And each of us carry different strengths. My wife carries different strengths than I do. She is awesome at administration. I really bad at it. But together. We complement one another. Her strengths. Compliment my weaknesses, my strengths complement her weaknesses. Why? Because God's design wasn't, you weren't designed to be Superman and Wonder Woman. You were designed for relationship. And in the basic element of design for relationship was God put in you weaknesses that Paul identified when I'm weak, he had shows himself strong. Amen? So that we can embrace, this is who I am. When I know who I am, I can be vulnerable. I can be expressive. And I refuse to allow anyone to constrain who I am, control who I am. I have boundaries to protect who I am against people who want to control You been seeing that? Are you hearing me? And so these are some of the things we're going to talk about over, uh, over our conference, okay? I'm sorry for getting ahead of myself. You, you wives must learn to adapt yourselves to your husband. As you submit yourself to the Lord, for the, for the husband is the head of the wife in the same, same way that Christ is head of the church and savior of the body. The willing subjection of the church to Christ should be produced in the submission of wives to their husbands. That's 522 in the Phillips translation. Let's continue. Husbands, likewise. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, here he comes into this. Here is why he's talking about the husband and wife dynamic. He says, this is a mirror of Christ and his church. Okay? This is the mirror. Here's the physical, here's the spiritual. And he says this: "This as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, Cleansed. having cleansed her in the washing of water with the word. there's the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that that she should be holy and blameless. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Okay? The whole purpose of that is this. God is creating a glorious church. A church without spot or wrinkle. Um, how many can recognize that we're not there yet? Okay, um, one simple reason why we know we're not that we're not there yet is he hasn't shown up. He hasn't shown up for a really long time, and so it makes me begin to question: Is God coming back, or is He just waiting for His church to get her act together? Hmm. Revelation nineteen seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and the wife has made herself ready. Did you hear that part? Here we are, the bride of Christ. And Jesus is anticipating when he can return. But he's returning for a wife who's made herself ready. There's the dynamic that we want to aim at. During this conference. How do we get there from here? How do we come to that place of openness. In connection. With God.
1: With our family. And as a community. Amen. Amen.
0: We are to take the responsibility for our part in this dynamic. Amen? We are to take our responsibility in this dynamic, connecting with our spouses, connecting with our children, connecting with our community. It's our responsibility. We're going to be talking a lot about how we did it there. Okay? Living from going from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is the first key to becoming a glorious church. You get that? The first key is this our connection to God. Amen? Receiving revelation from the Father's love, living word on a continu- continuous basis is the second key to transformation. In other words, in this relationship, I'm now receiving His grace. His grace that comes to me in His word. His word then. His word then has power for me to grow in my faith. Amen? We're going to be talking how do we get our faith. How, how many of you would like your faith to go from this? This is orphan mindset, if you didn't know. I'm not sure how much we get into that because you've already been, had many services on messages on the orphan, right? Yep. Okay. This is orphan mindset. This is me believing in myself more than I believe in God. Hmm. Growing this, the faith. That's why the scriptures talk about greater grace, greater faith. It has the potential for increase. Amen? So my goal is that by the end of our time together, our faith will have expanded. And our experience with grace will also the experience. Amen? How are we doing on time? Oh, man, I've got... I have, I have the eternal message. <laughs> it's where I step into it. Determ- <laughs> okay. Uh, Jesus. In
1: Isaiah, Jesus... Okay. Him and I are having an argument right now. Go ahead and stand.
0: How y'all doing? I want you to lift your hands over your hand. I want you to pray this with me. Father God, I desire to know you. So I give you permission, Lord, to search me and know me. I give you permission to deal with the issues in my heart that constrain my faith. And I want you to open your arms. Increase my faith, Lord, that I would receive all that you have for me while I sleep, while I work and play. I give you permission to speak to me. And I want you to go ahead. I want you to, be, want you to begin poising your heart and your mind. Anticipate God to speak. Okay? Be aware of your dreams tonight. Okay? Be aware of those thoughts that just come to your mind during, the, during your day. Be aware of pictures that just come to your mind. Okay, I just want you to put on that anticipation of God speaking to you. Okay, raise your hand, right hand. Father God, I declare, I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and all my strength. And I choose you As the priority of my life. If you mean that, expect. When He becomes the priority, everything else comes into alignment underneath Him. So, what does that mean to you when I say, God, you're the priority of my life? Think about that for a minute. God, Is there anything in me that conflicts with you being a priority? In other words, is there something in me that I value
1: more than you? And then the question, am I willing to give that up to experience you? This is,
0: the, this is the heart of repentance. This is the heart of repentance, where God reveals to us those things that we value more than Him. And He asks, Are you willing to give that up for more of